Specialty Story, session number 95. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I am excited to have another guest here on the podcast with me, a physician talking about his specialty of sports medicine. Now, sports medicine comes in many shapes and sizes, but our guest today went through the internal medicine route, finding sports medicine late in his residency and quickly made some changes and was able to match into a sports medicine fellowship. Now, Dr. Michael Janesco talks about his path to sports medicine, what he loves about sports medicine, and what you can learn to hopefully improve your chances of getting into a sports medicine fellowship, if that's something that you want to do. We start the conversation by talking to Michael about his path to sports medicine and what brought him there and when he knew it was right for him. You know, it's funny. I grew up my whole life, uh, uh, you know, and this is very cliche in the sports medicine world, but kind of as an athlete, I was the son of a doctor's kid. My dad stood on sidelines all the time, but he wasn't really had no formal sports medicine training. So I, I honestly had no idea sports medicine really kind of existed as an entity until really late, like probably my second year of internal medicine, um, where I was basically already gearing up to apply for critical care, uh, 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 fellowship. And, um, and all of a sudden, you know, I was on a rotation that I had to go on in internal medicine, you know, we got no MSK training. So we had to do this block. So I was with a guy named Pat Kersey, uh, who's a, is a big name in, in football and, um, has, has been a great uh, resource for me. And I had to be with him and he had to be with me. And we sat down after about a week and he was like, Hey man, have you ever thought about doing this? And for the first time I was like, well, <laughs> I am now. And um, it was a great week. And, you know, he was a great mentor for me. And, you know, the rest was kind of history. It, it was a little bit of a scramble just because I was late mm -hmm. uh, to the game. But, um, you know, it's a little bit of a later application process. And, you know, I think the stars aligned for me a little bit. And I kind of took the bull by the horns from there and aggressively um, pursued the fellowship after that. And, and the rest is history. So honestly, probably a lot later than I should have known about it or, or thought about it. Um, I was very late to the game and nowadays that probably wouldn't fly, but back then I was able to pull it off. So, yeah. And that's what this podcast is for is to expose students and residents to what specialties are out there. These kind of micro niches within these specific fields. And so, um, kind of before, before your time, uh, or this podcast wasn't around in your time, but, uh, hopefully now <laughs> it's not an issue moving forward. Yeah. And I think sports medicine has grown to a point where, I mean, it's really on the map now. I mean, yeah. a lot has changed in 10 years. So, you know, I, I don't think, you know, it'd be hard to avoid hearing the sports medicine until your second year of residency now. But, um, you know, it was out there to a certain extent, but now I think it's really blown up. Yeah. So just for those listening who don't know, MSK, musculoskeletal, the abbreviation mm, for that. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you were originally interested in critical care. What was taking you down that path? You know, it was just one of those things. I couldn't really decide what I wanted to do. My dad was family practice and I was following in his shadow already. And I didn't exactly want to be 
in his shadow to the full extent. I was going in medicine. I wanted to make my own kind of career path, and I couldn't really pull the trigger on what I wanted to do. But I loved being in the hospital way more than I loved being in the clinic, and um, which is ironic in, in retrospect. But um, uh, so I said, you know, I think I want to do something in medicine, and um, maybe I'll subspecialize from there. And I just love the uh, acuity um, uh, of the critical care. I love the procedural aspect of it. I love the adrenaline, a little bit of adrenaline junkie. And these are all things that ultimately I found in, in a different way in sports medicine, but that's what kind of took me down the internal medicine path was kind of those, those things. I mean, very cerebral, but very acute and procedural based. And, and it ends up being, uh, something that kind of circled back in sports medicine or something mm-hmm. that I found in sports medicine that originally, uh, drew me to critical care. Yeah. Talk about those things. What do you think it was when you were on those rotations or that rotation and and finally found sports medicine? What do you think it was that really piqued your interest? In sports? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I I think that I realized like, okay, you know, I'm not just sitting here in clinic seeing patient after patient and, and writing paper notes. I mean, that's, that's part of it, but there's a lot of procedural stuff. There's a lot of, um, really cool interventions even more so than what I probably thought 10 years ago that have emerged and, and kind of um, um, break up your day or give you kind of that satisfaction of, of, of completing the procedure successfully. Um, and then I was unaware of field coverage. You know, like I said, I had grown up playing sports and I had been on sidelines in high school and college. And, you know, there's no better adrenaline rush uh, to me than, than being on the field in the middle of the action. And, and you know, instead of doing a, um, a running a code or, providing a urgent intubation or central line care, you know, that sort of adrenaline rush that you would get when you're doing those sort of things, you could get some of that satisfaction by evaluating a concussion or spine boarding an athlete and, you know, running onto the field to test, um, you know, uh, um, making sure that you know, knee injuries aren't catastrophic and, and that sort of adrenaline that, you know, I kind of kept me going and down that, um, um, ICU route actually ended up turning around and, and giving me that in sports medicine, or I found some of that in sports medicine. Uh, so, you know, for me, it was um, um, from there comparing the two, I mean, the quality of life, I think, is uh, allotted me a lot better in sports medicine where I'm not living at that hospital. I'm not around, you know, death and dying every day and critically ill patients. And for me, that leaves my head in a much better space. Yeah. What traits do you think lead to someone being a good sports medicine doc? Uh, good question. You know, I think there's a couple things that come to mind. I, I think you have to be a good communicator. Um, and I don't mean just communicating with other docs. I don't mean communicating just with other athletes. I mean communicating with physical therapists, communicating with parents, communicating uh, with athletic trainers who are really at the core of this. You have to be able to to discuss different medical topics, injuries, uh, plan of care with several different people and do it all in the same time, all in the same patient at many times in different ways. So you have to be able to communicate. I think that is really central and core to, you know, what makes you uh, a successful and respected doc, especially when you get into athletics. Um, and I think you got to be somebody who's flexible. You got to be somebody who um, can learn on the go, uh, can say yes. I always tell this to all our fellows, uh, um, you know, if you're not going to say yes in sports medicine, uh, somebody else is going to say it for you, and uh, you're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities. So you got to be somebody who's open to uh, fast changing environment, and and you know really putting yourself out to um, you know even at your own fault at times to take care of others and and get the right opportunities and seek the kind of job opportunities that you want. So you got to be somebody who's obviously um, uh, highly motivated, not afraid to say uh, yes uh, to things that put you out of your comfort zone a little bit. And um, again, that communication is is crucial. A lot of students and residents potentially listening to this, thinking about sports medicine, 
pictures every patient walking into their exam room as a, a six foot four, five percent body fat, lean athlete ready to get back to their their mm-hmm. sport of yeah. choice. What is what is what is sports medicine as far as the patients that you're treating? Who do they look like? You know, I love that question. What is sports medicine? It is way more loaded than you even know. And some of the highest up folks are still trying to answer what is sports medicine. And it is truly different uh, uh, every day. Um, I will tell you a little bit um, just about my experience and where I am. Uh, that's what I can speak to. Um, that six foot four athlete um, exists, but typically they're out in the um, a- uh, athletic world. So my clinical world is kind of where I start my day and that's my bread and butter. I'm employed by Ohio State, a big academic university, and I see what comes in through the door. The tagline is, is you know, there's an athlete in all of us. So if you go by that, that means that everyone here, uh, no matter what your skill and ability level, has some sort of motivation <laughs> to be physically functional and active. Somebody's um, got to come in last place. That'll be me. <laughs> yeah. And we see a lot of the last place people here. We yeah. do see the obese. We see the inactive. Sports medicine offers kind of an avenue to say, hey, let's let's break that trend. Let's introduce exercise. Let's get your um, pain under control so that you can be more active in exercise. So a lot of what we see will be the same people you'd see in a family practice clinic mm-hmm. um, um, who have a lot of pain. You know, it, it's not a pain clinic by any means. But these people are coming to you because they're having some sort of inability to be active, whether it's lack of education, physical joint pain or what have you. And that's usually what gets them in the door. Um, From there, however, when you're going to see those athletes, true athletes, um, you have to do some outreach in your community. You have to be involved, I think, with the high school, middle school, uh, semi-professional, professional team. And those when uh, that's when you see those athletes. And so in today's culture in sports medicine, a lot of those clinics, okay, a lot of those patients that you'll see, you go to them. So I, I have the um, a blessing to take care of a high school, which I go to like today when I'm done with this, I'm going to um, a, a local high school to see training room, not fee for service. I won't get reimbursed. I'm not submitting for RVUs or insurance. I'm going out there because I'm building my name, my, my, um, my brand, if you will. <clears throat> on Tuesdays, I'll go to the professional ballet where I work with the uh, professional ballet here in town, as well as Capital University, which is Division Three school. And um, I also work with the Columbus Clippers, which is the AAA affiliate for the Cleveland Indians. All of those things are not RVU grossing, meaning I am not getting paid or reimbursed or uh, I'm given extra money, if you will, for seeing a lot of those athletes. And that's just the culture of sports medicine right now. If you want to do that, build your brand. You're going to be doing that more or less on their terms because it's such a competitive market to get some of these big programs or big high profile uh, teams. Now, there are some exceptions to that, of course. But to answer your question, what do I see every day? I see the entire gambit from professional athlete to somebody who's never picked up a ball in their life but has some sort of uh, musculoskeletal complaint typically. For the students who like diagnosing and going down that path of trying to figure out what's going on, what percentage of patients do you think are coming to you with a diagnosis from their primary care doc and you just are there to to kind of give definitive treatment versus you actually trying to figure out what's going on? Yeah, it depends if you mean, do they come with a correct diagnosis or if it comes with, with an actual act? And, and, you know, and I say that kind of in jest. I mean, a lot of people will come with, quote unquote, shoulder pain. You know, that's not a diagnosis to me. Yeah. My, um, I think where my skill or my what I pride myself on is not being able to say, hey, this is shoulder pain. Obviously, anyone can do that. But where is this shoulder pain coming from specifically? What tendon? Is it supraspinatus? Is it proximal bicep? And then not not only that, but the real diagnostic skill becomes, why do you have it? What are you doing? 
Like uh, if you have a runner with knee pain, okay, uh, it's not enough to say it's knee pain. It's not enough to say it's knee arthritis. It's not enough to say it's patellofemoral arthritis. It's nice to say it's patellofemoral arthritis from um, weep, weak hip abduction and overpronation. And, you know, you can really kind of diagnose why they're having these um, um, pains based on mechanical errors or technical errors or inborn errors. So um, the diagnosis is never complete, in my opinion, until you really have the root injury or, or the uh, cause for the root injury. And that's what I think makes my job fun um, isn't because I can diagnose, you know, arthritis of the knees, but because you can go one step further and talk about, you know, why it's there. Now, you're a DO and mm. the the DOs listening to this are are going, yeah, yeah, holistic. You got to find out why you're injured. Talk about your your MD counterparts. I'm assuming they're doing the same thing, trying to figure out why you're having that pain in the first place. Yeah, I would agree. I'll give you a two part uh, on this, and one is a plug for DOs, not not, <laughs> but but for a reason in sports medicine. So I, I think uh, I 100% agree. And there's um, um, that's not DO specific. That is certainly I think sports medicine specific, and a skill you would get in a sports medicine fellowship, at least a good one. And that's what separates you from the community and from people who see some people with knee pain and people who are truly sports medicine trained, you know, um, um, sports docs. So, um, I think being a DO is a huge advantage in the world of sports medicine. This is my personal bias, full disclaimer. I am a DO. Mm -hmm. Um, there is just certain skills and my MD counterparts will tell you that, that, that I can do that I can offer, uh, from, um, um, axial pain to extremity pain. I get a lot of referrals from my ND counterparts just cause they say, I wish I could manage this patient, but I'm going to send them to you because I can't do what you do. Um, you get a nice, um, basis for musculoskeletal care that, um, in, in diagnosing with your hands and you get a comfort with that, um, at an early stage in osteopathic school, which I think sets you up really well um, um, in sports medicine. Now, I'm actually teaching a course or going to be teaching a course to our fellows here at Ohio State for MDs to do um, some sort of manipulation education um, and treatments with patients here at Ohio State. So that's a new thing that we're trying to do because it was been so popular and, and requested. So yeah. I think it's um, um, a nice uh, niche to have, a nice strength to have. And so for all you DOs, uh, and I only bring this up because I know there's a lot of um, students out there, residents out there who, who let it go and stop manipulating. And if it's like, um, you let it go, you don't use it, you lose it a little bit. So if you're at any point thinking about sports medicine and you're a DO and, and you're falling away from that, try to find an avenue where you can continue and utilize those skills. Cause I really do think it has a nice home and, and sets you up to be successful in sports. What was your decision algorithm for being in an academic setting versus going out to the community? Good question. I mean, one, I went to, um, I did my residency at Indiana University, big, big 10 um, um, academic university. I did my fellowship thereafter at the Cleveland Clinic. Again, big academic setting. Um, it was most comfortable to me. Um, I think that's kind of how I was trained um, to, to, to be ready for academic medicine. And for me, I think I was certainly more comfortable continuing that academic medicine. And um, um, I wanted to to teach. I wanted to kind of give back where um, I was given opportunities to, to learn. I wanted to kind of give those things back. And um, it was just a great setup when I came out of a fellowship looking for a job, which is increasingly um, um, com competitive. Um, there are certain jobs that you can do that are 100% sports medicine, meaning you see no primary care patients, essentially. And there's jobs that where you see 70% primary care and just a little bit of sports medicine. 
And so for me to walk out of fellowship and get a job at, you know, Ohio State with um, um, an opportunity to do, you know, what I want to do in my training and do 100% sports medicine right out, um, it was a no-brainer. It's been a great fit for me for nine years and um, still very active with the um, uh, academic portion and education here and, and plan to be for a long time. Describe a typical week. Um, yeah, I, I kind of got into that a, a little bit. Like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm here um, um, in clinic four days a week. Uh, there's a day where I kind of have an academic half day, which allows me to catch up on the million uh, things that I have to do outside of, of the clinic setting. Um, but I'll see patients probably about 25 hours a week, spread out over four days, or maybe 26 to 30 hours, depending on the week. And, um, um, you know, like I said, anything rolls in, I see patients, new patients get a 20 minute slot, follow up patients about 10 minutes. So we roll through about 25 to 30 patients at times a day. Um, it's a pretty fast acting clinic, especially when you consider that's not only diagnosis and management, but it's also providing injections on probably about, well, I don't know, one third to one half of my patients when needed, when appropriate. Um, and, um, um, from here, like I said, I'll finish my clinic and, and my notes and, um, um, then I will head over to the high school where I'll see some athletes there. Uh, my Tuesday is typically spent, um, working with the uh, professional ballet in the afternoon where I'll go there, provide care again, being a DO, it's a natural fit. I do a lot of manipulation and techniques there. Those, um, dancers are some of the hardest patients you'll ever want to manage because they know their body way better than you can ever imagine. They know it really well. They know when their anominant is rotated. They know when their SI joint is out. They know, you know, every little muscle and, and know it better than you. And um, um, it's a challenge, but it's a really rewarding uh, area. So I do a lot of manipulation, diagnosis management there at the ballet, um, which is a really fun group. Um, and then I typically go to a training room at Capitol, which is a division three school here in Columbus, uh, where I'll see every sport. So a lot of times at a high D one level, you're given one sport. Like I do football, I do basketball, I do, uh, lacrosse, um, at Capitol, um, it's a smaller school and I do everything there. So it's actually kind of nice cause it's, um, variety is the spice of life and you'll get everything you want there, especially being in primary care sports medicine. I'll see a lot of concussion, but I also see a lot of musculoskeletal complaints as well. Um, and so I do that on Tuesday, Thursday, uh, and then again, clinic on, uh, um, um, Wednesdays and, um, training room on, uh, on Thursday, Fridays, Saturdays, very, uh, this past uh, week I had a couple baseball games. Like I said, I take care of the, uh, triple a team here. So I was, uh, there on site for our home game, uh, this weekend, it was actually on mother's day. So weekends are typically reserved for, you know, Friday night football, Saturday afternoon football. Um, and so the weekends, I don't have call in sports medicine, which is nice. I'm never overnight. Um, we have call, but it's usually by phone. And I can't remember the last time even I got called for anything more than ice and ibuprofen recommendations. Um, but your call is a lot of time spent um, covering events. And those typically happen on weekends or late at night. So you do got to have an understanding family and a flexible family that supports you in your job. What is the training path look like to to get to become a sports medicine doc? It's really varied and, and it opens up more and more every year. Meaning when I first uh, applied maybe 10 years ago, um, it was very family practice dominant. You know, I was an outsider as an internist. There was a couple PM&R, maybe a couple ER docs and and it was a really um, less common path. And now I feel like since this sports med has uh, exploded, there's uh, different avenues in which you can go. I'm, I myself are internal medicine. 
physical medicine rehabilitation or PM&R, uh, emergency medicine, and, and of course, probably most common is still family practice, but those numbers are really spreading out. And um, uh, pediatrics, of course, as well, or med peds is another one where, where it really filters well into sports medicine. Um, and so, so I did my residency, me personally, I did my residency in internal medicine, decided late, uh, applied uh, in my uh, third year there, got into a, a fellowship, um, a great fellowship at the Cleveland Clinic, had a great experience there. Um, and that was a one-year fellowship. There are some fellowships out there that are two years. Um, um, this one was uh, one. How competitive is the, uh, the matching into fellowships? Increasingly so. Like I said, it has blown up to a point where, I mean, this is a relatively young field. I mean, it didn't really exist prior to the early 1980s. And then at that point, there was probably five or six folks. And then that number has increased uh, um, into uh, thousands. I mean, there's 12 fellowships in Ohio alone. Um, and, and then I know, you know, Pennsylvania, California, Michigan. Um, I mean, there's there's multiple. I mean, and so I think there's over hundreds Um uh, maybe even a couple hundred fellowships in, in the country now, and they seem to be growing. Uh, the problem is, is the, the jobs available, um, at least the types of jobs you would want as a sportsman doc, may not be growing at the same pace. And so there may be a point where um, the fellowships and the jobs are becoming a little saturated, again, because it was a young field, um, um, not as many people retire as they do who come in to the field. Um, and so I think those fellowship spots are getting increasingly competitive as we get more and more applicants. And then I think there'll be a really interesting evolution in the next five to 10 years to see where we balance out in terms of the actual jobs that are available out, out in the world. So that'll dictate whether or not some of these fellowships close down, which then increases how competitive it is. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be one of the more competitive slots. Um, um, but then again, there are positions that don't get filled every year. So it just depends on, um, you know, where you want to go and what you want to do. I think some of the higher level programs are very competitive, but I still think there may be an opportunity to go outside the match once the match is completed. And there are spots that if you're willing to move elsewhere. Um, so yeah, it, it's always kind of a, a year to year thing, but I do think sports medicine in general, the fellowships are, are fairly competitive. I wouldn't put them up there with the derms or the GI of the world, but um, I do think they're increasingly competitive. Talk about the potential for turf wars. You have ortho sports medicine, you have PMNR yeah. seeing sports medicine, you have internal medicine, family practice seeing sports medicine. Yeah. yeah. And then you have the emergence of um, um, physical therapists who want to mm -hmm. increase in responsibilities, physician assistants who have increasing, you know, uh, desires, nurse practitioners. I mean, so everyone wants kind of a piece of this, this puzzle. And, and that is an issue. Um, luckily, uh, you know, I think in sports medicine, we still have great marketing here and, and great uh, administrative that is, are really supportive and, and have pushed sports medicine as kind of the gatekeepers, if you will. Um, meaning, um, if you need, uh, if you have a musculoskeletal concern and, and you go to schedule an appointment, typically they'll filter you through sports medicine. And if it ends up being a surgical issue, we will then send it to an orthopedist. The idea on this is really win-win meaning it gets patients in the door with us, sports med, probably 80% of sports medicine doesn't need surgery, right? And if you know anything about orthopedic surgeons, I mean, they want to perform <laughs> orthopedic surgery. They don't want to manage ankle sprains uh, for the most part. And so um, um, they like a higher yield. And so if we can take away some of the burden of the non-operative stuff 
and improves their uh, efficiency, their surgical efficiency, meaning every pain that patient they see, they want to, you know, 100%, I want to see um, see uh, or operate on every patient I see ideally. You know, that's some some surgeons have told me that that's their ideal clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, not always realistic, but for the most part, we can help kind of get that population uh, and, and help with a higher surgical yield. In terms of uh, physical medicine rehabilitation, there is some overlap there. Um, and, and each institution is different on how they manage that. Rheumatology has their own kind of niche, but it is definitely an issue, especially at a big you know, university, how, how you're going to divvy that up or try to figure out who sees who. But that, luckily for me, I'm in sports medicine and not a hospital administrator. But um, um, there is, you know, I wouldn't say competition, but there is a lot of people with their hands kind of in the pot trying to figure out, you know, how to best um, uh, get patient access and keep everyone busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is an that's an interesting question and one that I'm sure that you would get probably ten different answers from ten different universities. Yeah. Um, but I think the really interesting thing uh, that goes along with that is, um, you know, when you talked when I said what is sports medicine, we don't really know. Like it's a, a moving target. One thing that I've noticed in the last ten years is is just um, when I started get, getting into this, like I said, when it's failing practice dominant, it was a team of of docs being prepared to take care of athletes. You know, and 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 the athlete had to toe, um, and, and we were you know family practice or primary care sports medicine. That was always the title, primary care sports medicine. I mean, you were primary care first, sort of sports medicine second, um, and, and I think that was um, has evolved a little bit because there's so many new technologies and procedures, and and you know a lot of ultrasound guidance and a lot of 10x and a lot of um, um, PRP and a lot of these new. Um, treatment algorithms or treatment options have really kind of stirred us um, and stirred the pot where you have a lot more people who see pain, you know, and don't really see the primary care issues of the athlete, like um, uh, mental wellness and uh, exercise induced asthma. um, And a lot of the, you know, primary care issues that happen in athletes, they're more focused on, you know, uh, interventions. And so there's a real split um, in, in philosophy in terms of sports medicine now, because you have some people who are just strictly proceduralists and no longer truly primary care sports medicine. So there's a real evolution and I think there's room for everybody, but it is a very interesting, um, um, time I think where, you know, you really get a, um, um, shift, uh, in how people view sports medicine and the title of sports medicine. What should a student or resident be doing to be competitive to match into a sports medicine fellowship? Yeah, that's a good question because I think you have to know early. So that's a good, this is a good time to hear it. Like I said, 10 years ago is much different. I was able to somehow my second year kind of, you know, still get a fellowship. And um, the first thing I did once I knew I wanted to do it was I started taking care of a high school team and trying to cover events and and, and expose myself to the world of sports medicine. Um, nowadays, now that I, I can say that we see fellows, we, you know, interview, you know, 15 to 20 fellows every year for our um, two spots. And, um, you know, the applicants that are coming in, I mean, they've been doing sports medicine since, um, you know, sometimes undergrad, but at least in their very early in the residency, they've been taking care of a high school. They've been on the sideline for all these events. They've really done, it's much more competitive. So they're getting more and more exposure. Um, They're doing more and more research um, and and focusing on, um, um, you know, 
care on the field, but also some research or writing chapters. I mean, it's amazing what these, um, uh, what applicants are doing now to try to get a position. And at first it was really impressive. And now it's kind of the expectation or the norm. So if you're not doing this and you're thinking about applying to a sports medicine fellowship, I mean, you're really behind the eight ball. So I think the things that, you know, I look for, the things I want to see you do or have some experience in a sports medicine clinic, uh, meaning spending regular time with somebody in a clinic setting, not just on the field, but also get out there on the sidelines. It doesn't have to be a football game. It doesn't have to be um, uh, a major event. I, you know, MMA fighting, it can be um, bocce ball. I don't care. I just want to see that you're out there kind of understanding what sideline coverage is. Um, and then if you can um, get in with some research, I think that's probably um, um, not necessary in certain programs. Some programs may emphasize that a little bit more, but I put more emphasis on what sort of exposure you have to actual sports medicine clinics and field coverage. Uh, another option is event coverage. I think event coverage is huge, like covering marathons, triathlons, mm-hmm. um, um, basketball events, Special Olympics events. All those things are wonderful and look great um, on an application. Bocce ball, huh? Lots of yeah. injuries in bocce ball? I, I just do that one. I do that one out there. <laughs> What opportunity is there for somebody potentially to even further subspecialize out of fellowship? Um, you know, that's interesting. I mean, there are uh, some concussion fellowships that, that people like to get into. I would tell you um, the ultrasound guidance uh, is a really um, huge thing uh, that has emerged in the last 10 years. And so there's some people that go and do ultrasound uh, training, you know, a specific year or fellowship. And I almost would tell you, if you're going to do it, do that first. Yeah. Um, and then come to your sports fellowship because I do think that, that that's a huge um, um, advantage or a huge skill uh, set to have. Um, so I would say if you wanted to be, again, kind of going back to what I was saying about being a proceduralist, um, you can have a subspecialty in, in that. And then, again, you can take from that, you know, orthobiologics, which are kind of new age treatments for, you know, chronic tendon problems. And, I mean, there's abilities to have a niche um, without necessarily requiring further training per se. Um, um, but certainly ultrasound or procedures is one of the big things in sports medicine where you would subspecialize. What do you wish for, for all the future primary care docs out there? What do you wish they knew about what you're doing day in and day out to help you and help your patients and their patients? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, like guilt almost like, Oh, I feel bad. I don't know what to do. I don't feel confident in my musculoskeletal exam. And I would first tell them, Hey, look, there's no such thing as a bad referral. If you don't feel confident and you don't feel like you can provide the best care for your patient, do not feel bad. Send them over. I'm happy to see them. I mean, if it's as some rudimentary as, you know, a, a, a contusion or bruise, that is okay by me. I want every provider to feel comfortable sending those things over because it's really all about your comfort and patient care. And if you don't feel comfortable with it, then there's a chance that they may be, you know, uh, not getting the best care. So it's always about patient care. The first thing I would tell them, don't feel bad. The second thing I would tell them is, why aren't you more comfortable managing, you know, some of these musculoskeletal complaints and what can you do about it? I, I think the musculoskeletal exam is one of the great fine few things that, you know, you don't need to need any equipment. You don't need any imaging. I know we order MRIs a lot in here, but I can probably tell you, how many MRIs I actually need to order in sports medicine is very few um, because it is all bare hands and history and physical. And there's something very satisfying about that. So if you can get comfortable with your physical exam uh, and, and really focus on your musculoskeletal care, um, you can provide excellent, you know, excellent care and you would feel more confident managing 
uh, patients without referrals, but at the same time, I'm I'm thrilled to see them, and um, you know, I think those referrals are are what keeps us in business. So, um, yeah, I think as primary care docs, I would tell them there's you know don't feel guilty about about sending them over, and if you do, um, just can go back to the basics with your physical exam. Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for sports med docs? Um, I would certainly say the team coverage. I mean, you know, I was um, kind of giving you a list of some of the things I do outside of the clinical realm. I mean, I was recently appointed medical director of Special Olympics here in Ohio. Um, um, And so there are roles for leadership um, um, as a medical director perspective. Um, There's always opportunities for, you know, advocating for new treatments and medication and those sort of things, injections, what have you. So there's a lot of avenues outside of sports medicine, I think, that that you can do that are not traditional clinical. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into sports medicine? You know, I think I would probably say the satisfaction that I have when you would, when I would first start, I wanted everyone, everyone in my door that came in my door to be that six foot four, five percent body fat person that you described in the first minute of this. And what I have found is that I get more satisfaction when I focus and pay attention on bringing somebody rather than from being really good to elite. I get more satisfaction from getting the people who are dormant or, or um, non or uh, sedentary to getting them moving. Um, and I get more satisfaction when I see that patient come back in through the door, hearing that, hey, look, I'm moving, I'm doing better. Um, I'm not 5% body fat, but you know what? My quality of life has really improved. And I think knowing that now, I, I, um, I find a lot more job satisfaction, or I would have found a lot more job satisfaction probably in my first uh, half of my career so far as I have in the second half. What do you like the most about being a sports medicine doc? <laughs> Uh, I think, I think the camaraderie, you know, I mean, again, it's good for me, you know, for my soul here to be back kind of on the sideline. Um, it, it connects me kind of to who I was in my younger days, but also, you know, you always hear about the locker room effect and and how you miss the locker room. And I feel like for me, um, I really enjoy that I can still be in the, in the locker room on the field, part of the team. Um, working towards a goal with these guys. Uh, I'm not on the field, but I'm off the field helping those guys kind of uh, achieve what they want. And so for me, that's, you know, that's probably the best thing. But but getting that athlete back out there, or, um, keeping them out there is very satisfying. And, and it's great camaraderie with the athletic trainers, with your fellow docs. Um, you know, we have a really good program here where I feel like you know, not only are these my colleagues, but they're my friends. And so coming to work every day is actually really fun. And we get to talk Buckeye sports or, or Columbus sports. And, and, you know, this is, um, you know, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Right. And, and I love two things growing up. I love sports and I loved, you know, medicine and even at a young age. And, and when I learned I could combine them late in my residency, and it's been um, a nice, nice um, uh, wedding ever since. Talking about Buckeye sports must be a pretty depressing talk around the office, huh? Oh boy! So listen to you. I got to throw it in there. Here you go, Gator. Uh, what do you, What do you like the least? Oh well, you know I think that it's probably universal in all healthcare. I just the burden of 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 volume. You know the burden of hey, we need you to see more patients. We need you to bill more RVUs. We need you to. I just want to sit in a room and not feel the pressure of 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 um, time. You know and and 
you get to a point where you feel like you have to rush through your day because you want to, you don't want other patients to wait and you don't want, you know, uh, you want to be, you don't have to have them come back. You know, maybe they have to do a procedure and you want to be able to do it for them same day. And I feel like, you know, the expectation is, is you got to keep those, you know, numbers and everything kind of turning. Um, that's not necessarily a specific sports medicine thing, but it is a healthcare thing. And I think it's probably pretty ubiquitous amongst all the fields is that we probably all wish we had a little bit more time with the patient, um, in clinic, um, um, and felt a little less outside pressure from that. But th- that, that's truly the thing that wears me down the most is just feeling like, you, you know, you really got to keep turning and burning as opposed to, to going at your pace. For a student or a resident who's still several years away from being out as a practicing sports medicine doc, what major changes are coming to the field that they should be aware of? Um, I think the biggest thing I would say is, is, is kind of that dichotomy of what I said, you know, you got to identify, you know, there's going to be people in sports medicine who are proceduralists and people who, who are traditional, more uh, primary care sports medicine. And so you want to find a program that, um, you know, fits what, what you see yourself as. I think, um, that'll be a big turning point to see, you know, five, 10 years down the road, how that kind of shakes out. Um, I do think fellowships will probably get um, uh, continue to be competitive, but more concerning would be the job market. I think the fellowship may be easier to get than than the job once you're done. I think you have to be a little bit more open to have a non-traditional sports medicine job initially, meaning maybe you put your time in as a primary care sports medicine, uh, I'm sorry, as a, a primary care physician and, and work your way into the sports medicine um, um, when you can kind of prove your, your mettle. Um, but again, there's plenty of jobs out there. It's just a matter of, you know, how many people want them uh, are applying for them. But I think it's, it's an interesting time in sports medicine also be just because every, um, seems like every year there's a new evolution in stem cell or platelet rich plasma or, um, uh, percutaneous tenotomy. And, and there's always new treatments. It's always a, a changing field. And I always tell, you know, students when you have a million treatments for one thing, it probably means that there's not one good one. And uh, until we find that one good one, I think sports medicine will always be a rapidly changing uh, field where you're always going to have to stick up uh, for your patient, be a patient advocate, educate yourself on what new technologies and treatment options are coming out there. So the days of being able to just sit back and, and you know, read journals that are 10 years old or, or long gone. I mean, this is going to be a constant uh, struggle in, in order to keep keep up because there's new data getting turned out and some of it good, some of it not so good, but, but it's, you know, out there and, and it's always a changing field. And I, the comment that you made about the, the doc coming out, maybe having to do some primary care, not just all sports medicine, that's almost every subspecialty out there, surgical, non-surgical. Uh, I've heard it a lot here on the podcast, people mm-hmm. who want to come out doing one specific type of surgery and they have to, they have to cut their teeth doing general and then they finally can build up their practice and and do the thing that they want to do. So I don't want that to scare away anybody from, from looking at this. And actually I think it's a really good thing. Like I actually did some, some primary care before I started here, because in my opinion, if you want to take care of teams, I mean, and really that's what high level sports medicine is. And that's what people traditionally think of as, Hey, I want to take care of this NFL team or this Mm -hmm. division one basketball program or what have you. You're as a primary care sports person, you are pretty expendable if all you can do is see musculoskeletal complaints, right? I mean, we have orthopedists for that, you know, and, and so if your niche is that, I mean, they can find somebody to do that. 
But if you are really comfortable with your primary care skills, because no, remember, we're not, when we're team docs, we're not only taking care of athletes, we're taking care of the coaches, the strength coaches, you're taking you know, care of the administrative. And so you're taking care of a slew of people rather than just healthy 20-year-olds. And even healthy 20-year-olds have issues with um, uh, mental wellness and, um, um, you know, neurologic issues and things. So, and, and get sick, you know, gastroenteritis, what have you. So where you're really an indispensable asset is when you're really good at that. And if you can do that well, okay, and, and I don't just mean, you know, I can put you on an antibiotic just because, you know, I think you have a cold. But I mean, if you really understand how to manage the primary care issues that comes up, that's what makes you an asset to the program and to the team. And so that's where your niche is. And and people forget that, I think. They think they get involved in sports medicine. They think it's all, you know, what musculoskeletal um techniques can I do? But it's really more back to the primary care, in my opinion. So I think it's a great thing. If you have to, if you get to go out in the community and really focus and, and fine tune your craft in terms of your primary care, finally practice internal medicine, when you master that, that's when you're going to be an invaluable, invaluable asset to a team. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a sports med doc? Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. People always come in and, and say, oh, you know, don't go, don't be a doctor. I would tell people, you'd be a doctor every day of your life. It's the greatest job in the world. And, and I, for me personally, sports medicine was just, you know, a, a great fit for me. I would not change a single day of it. And, um, you know, I have good days and bad days like anybody else. But, you know, there's not a day where I come to work dreading it. And so, you know, I, I think for me, sports medicine is a great career path for anybody who um, loves to be around, you know, the locker room athletics, musculoskeletal care, but even more so just getting people active you know, getting people out of pain. It's a very satisfying field in the sense that, you know, I don't have to wait six months to see the results of the medication. I can see it in two days and, 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 you know, therapies within a week. So, um, it's a very satisfying, uh, field for me and, and I do it a uh, hundred times over. Any last words of wisdom for the student or resident who's like, Ooh, I think I might be interested in sports medicine now. Yeah, I mean, I, same as any any career. I mean, I always say rotating is like, uh, or finding a, a career is like dating, right? I mean, you go on this, you know, you find a little information, maybe you want to swipe right on sports medicine or whatever it is, and then you <laughs> could go out on that first date, you get a little exposure. And if you really like it, you got to commit to it for, you know, a month, get on a rotation. And, and you know, you don't want to just commit to this on, on one thing. So get out there, get involved in sports clinics, get involved on the field. Um, find somebody who's, who's willing to spend some time and mentor you and truly introduce you into sports medicine. Cause my sports medicine is very, very different than the next person's sports medicine who's different to the next one. So we all have different kind of, uh, clinical fields. There's a lot of variety. You can make your clinic what you want with it, but everyone's could be a little bit different. So, um, I would tell you, you know, get out there, go on those, you know, first and second dates, get familiar with it. And then as much time as you can spend in it. And, and I would probably tell you, do it with one or two different docs because you'll be amazed how different uh, clinics can be or experiences can be. But um, yeah, get out there. All right. So there you have it again, Dr. Michael Janesco, sports medicine physician at The Ohio State University. Unfortunately, not the best university in the world. I mean, it always seems to always be behind the University of Florida, but I won't hold that against him. It was a great pleasure talking to him, learning about the sports medicine specialty. And hopefully you learned something. If this is something you are interested in, go check out a sports medicine physician in your area. See if you can get on the sidelines at some sporting events, shadow, and get as much exposure as you can. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories.